podcast they ain't played nobody. Bill, um, the season has long since started, but the hell has begun. I have I am sick for the first time this year. Um, we have done zero prep on the show because you and I are both running in opposite directions. Um, these are all terrible sports writer complaints. I mean, I could seg straight into criticizing the new Bruce Springsteen compilation. I'm not going to. But what I am going to do is I'm going to pull down deep and I'm going to find the energy to persevere in a job that most people would do for free. Um, and most people think isn't a job at all, and I'm going to deliver the goods. I'm going to deliver. Really? I'm going to deliver the insight. I'm going to deliver the. I'm going to deliver the content that people demand from this podcast. You can. Well, you can. You can just wing it though. But I'm going to pull through. I'm going to gut it out like a warrior. What content do people actually demand? I don't know. People tweeted us. We were actually just talking before we went on the air. We're really happy with the. Um, I think it's a tech industry term, the attach rate of, of our box score concepts, because, look, some of y'all are drinking and box scoring. I'm just going to say it, all right? We like to think we have a highly intelligent, discriminating group of college football um, patrons and, and enthusiasts. Some of y'all tweet some dumb stuff at us, but I can always tell that y'all are in, y'all are in the sack a little bit. So up your game when you're drunk, Okay. I've got nothing to say about that. Well, it's, I think a lot of that's because you're at Missouri home games oftentimes. I'm not saying you're you're unruly or you're <laughs> tweeting out things that you shouldn't be, but although you did get a little saucy after that uh, Georgia-Missouri game, I must say, anybody wants to go back in time and check out Bill's timeline. Um, man, we got so much important things, so many important things to talk about. Uh, we'll start talking about Les Miles in a second because we have to have our vigil and move on. Um, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 because I was probably, if we want to do patient zero, caught my cold on an airplane coming home from Oakland. That's I, I'm putting my money there because it was a full Southwest flight. So basically I should have just rubbed my face and my mucous membranes on some sort of public toilet rather than take a Southwest flight for four hours. But so be it. Um, in case you didn't know, this is podcast ain't played nobody, a college football marriage of numbers and words. Um, that's Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He is the proprietor of SB Nation's football study hall. He's also the author of the forthcoming book. Tell him the title because I screw it up every week. The 50 best asterisk college football teams of all time. Um, that is the title. Uh, the, I, I cannot wait for this book to have a cover so I don't have to say the word asterisk every time. You can just kind of see what it means. It's going to be right there on the front. You know, the most interesting, innovative, and influential teams of all time or something of that nature. Uh, but anyway, that's the my name, the name. See, you're killing the intro here. My name is Stephen Godfrey. I have written zero books, but I am going to go to Baton Rouge this week, cold and all, and drink my way through some journalism. I'm going to talk to a lot of individuals who have a lot of opinions, but really one central theme. Bill, can you guess what that central theme is? What do you think, folks, folks, me being on the horn, talk about on the show all the time how I married into an LSU family? What do you, what do you think consensus is right now in Baton Rouge? My guess is um, how their young basketball team is going to do this fall. Hey. This winter. I'm trying to think that's, of the, That's my guess. Um, I don't know if I've ever had a conversation about basketball with anyone in Louisiana ever. Um, so this has been, I had to form a talk radio thing fast because I, was, I wrote a quick story talking to multiple agents on my flight home Sunday night as the firing went down. Um, 
and I've been doing radio ever since and doing the like, what are they going to do? Is Ed Ogeron a real candidate? Da, 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 all that kind of stuff. I think it's this. We cherish character in college football. Like we specifically at SB Nation, right, the, the appreciation machine that we are, we try and carve out little spots for you to access as a fan. And there really was no better person, no single better individual than Les Miles. The problem with that is everything that made him, well, almost everything that made him so engaging and fun and accessible and memorable drove his actual fans completely insane. Like, it's, it's so fun to, to see the difference between having a conversation about Les Miles in the SB Nation editorial room and having a conversation about Les Miles at an LSU tailgate. It, they're, <laughs> the whimsy and the charm is not there when it's your team, uh, no. and specifically that team that's filled with talent and expectation and with, with such a high ceiling. Uh, I, think they're, I think they were more than ready to move on. And I don't think I'm going to go down to a funeral. I'll put it that way. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, A, this he fits very well my ongoing theory that, you know, all the things that create your best qualities create your worst. Um, and you really can't – it's really, really tricky to kind of tweak one of those without tweaking the other two. Um, and so, yeah, all, all the things that made Les Miles weird and fun made him super stressful for LSU fans. I, mean, I think the best example is just that, you know, last year there was a point where Missouri was looking for a new head coach um, and the Les Miles rumors were still kind of floating around. And like basically I, I'm trying to think if the, I'm sure they were out there, but like in terms of, you know, me, my little circle of friends or whatever, um, it was all basically, yeah, no, no, I would not want Les Miles. <laughs> and I love Les Miles, and that's what I was saying about him leading my team. Part of that is, is that he's getting older, and you always, I think for the most part, when we're, when we're envisioning our preferred candidates for our team, we want the guy who's like 40 years old, and he'll you know, lead us to titles for the next 25 years or whatever. Um, and so maybe his, we were holding his age against him. But part of it is just because he's weird and stressful and makes weird decisions, and, and that's not necessarily a lot of fun. Um, I think a good rule of thumb right now is that if you're looking for a head coach and you ask him the question, what was your favorite rap album when you were in college and he can't answer it, um, you probably shouldn't hire him. And I'm not, even that, I'm not even a big rap music fan, but I'm implying that like if you have a if you have a program of some note or promise that wants to wants to achieve playoff status, I think the whole tide has turned. You need to be forty five. I think you need to be Tom Herman age. You know, I just did SB Nation Radio this morning before we recorded this and ended up in sort of a verbal tug of war on air about why Jimbo Fisher was the better candidate. And I, I don't know, like, I'm sure I came across insulting Fisher. I didn't mean to, but I don't understand. Well, first off, if you're Fisher, don't go. Um, and I don't have any insight here. This is just a conversation. Uh, so reporter hat is not on right now. But if you're Fisher, don't go. You have everything that you need and want. Uh, financially, I mean, I'm sure LSU can make a a dumb money offer, but you have plenty of money, and you have you you have an apparatus at Florida State that really caters to what you want. I don't know what else you could ask for relative to the, what anyone else in the country has. Um, if you're LSU, go out and get young and get dynamic because that those were the things that were missing. Now, Jimbo's only fifty. He's not like he's not sixty five or anything. No, I know that, but he's also. I think in addition to age, there's also the mentality of someone. I, I, 
bringing in someone, and I know everyone's going to scream, we'll look at Nick Saban. So let's throw Saban out as an outlier, and let's throw Meyer out as an outlier because those guys went, built national title programs, left, came back, built other national title programs. That's pretty rare. I think, as a rule of thumb, just based off of people I talk to, like athletic directors, you want to catch the right person on the way up for the first time and ideally keep them there for as long as you can, which is really only like, what's an ideal situation in college football now? 15 years max, right? Like people want to fire Bob Stoops right now. That's like, we're, we're at the twilight of the Bob Stoops era, even if that doesn't make sense. Well, so just, yeah, I mean, there are Myers. Fire for like seven years, but yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's college football, but yeah. yeah, there are Myers and there are Sabins, but on the whole, um, and I'm not just saying this because I think Herman's the better hire, the better fit, but it's also, I will say this, it's a lot harder to make that hire. Right, so so take Herman out of this, and then find that young promising coach. There's a lot more risk involved with that. A well, lot of course, more. Yeah, yeah. There's the ideal, and then there's the most realistic scenario. And um, you know, Herman Herman certainly fits the ideal. Although, I mean, he's still uh, a second year head coach who's barely, you know, he doesn't even have 20 games under his belt yet. So, I mean, it's not like he's an absolute slam dunk. But yeah, he, he's he's the right age. He's around the age, I believe, when. Florida hired Meyer uh, somewhere in that range when Utah hired Meyer, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously he's kind of the ideal here, but he still doesn't have a lot of experience. If you do think that your job is weird enough to where a little extra head coaching experience is required, then, I mean, yeah, I I could see how you'd want to put Jimbo Fisher on the top of your list instead of Herman or anybody else. But um, no, the, no, there's the ideal, and then there's, well, the ideal doesn't work, so what are our options? And at that point, everybody has pluses and minuses, and you just have to determine it after that. Um, I'm not going to extend anything out beyond other, let's see. I don't want to just, we did a quick piece, and it was quick and dirty, about the names that you're going to hear in the search. Those are not names to watch. It's, it's hard for us to clarify this enough. Um, the idea that LSU fires Miles and 15 minutes later has reached out to anybody is insane. Yeah. What you're hearing is, and this is, is, is let, let's do an explainer real quick. What you hear in those moments are representatives of coaches, and I don't mean just agents or lawyers, but also like assistants that are in their sort of their posse, their crew. People start feeding out, are feeding out information to anyone who'll listen, which is a lot of people now because of the proliferation of you know, new media blogs, everybody else, radio, you name it. That fills the airways real fast. Everybody tries to parse that up and, and create these lists. A lot of lists that you see, like 10 names to replace X, most of those names are, are logical assumptions and things that you may have heard in passing as a reporter. That's why everyone qualifies those, those lists, or they should, responsible guys do. The four names that we talked about on that were Ed Ogeron, we'll talk about him in a second, Herman and Fisher, which are the – that's the 1-2, 1-A, 1-1-A, whatever, however you're going to say it. Um, and a man by the name of Art Bryle. Um, that was the name that jumps out real fast of all of a sudden. LSU has reached out to Art Bryles. No, they haven't. The body's not even cold yet. Um, what that is, and I can't say this, is Team Bryles is going to make it a point to put – Art Bryles' name out in front of as many people as possible through his yeah, many It's channels. already gross, and it's not even October yet. It's, yeah. Even as we record this, days after, it's still not October. Um, and and one, <laughs> one agent I talked to on Sunday night said, this is effing ridiculous. And I said, what is? And he said, it's September, whatever the day was, 26th or 27th. 
And I said, you're an agent. Shouldn't you love this? And he said, even by our standards, this is getting insane. Because what I learned a couple weeks ago, kind of new, but I talked specifically with Whit Babcock at, at Virginia Tech. Beamer went to them and specifically said, hey, I'm going to announce this retirement early so you guys can get a head start because there were already open jobs, specifically yeah. South Carolina. This is just going to happen every year now. I mean, also, USC fires their coach like every 18 months, so we're due for like in the next two weeks. But <laughs> this is going to happen forever now. I really don't see this changing. No one wants to admit that it's a trend, but the ability to, op- to operate openly in public without people saying, oh, my God, can you believe that you know, the athletic director is reaching out to X and Y while they still have this coach? They, they, they're skipping all that now. Fire him. Let the, in- let the interim deal with it. So that brings us to Ed Ogeron. Ed Ogeron has built the single best audition platform I've ever seen, yeah. maybe in history. And I wrote in history in my column at, at, without bothering you at 1130 last night because do you have S&P? I don't think you have S&P Plus for like, oh, say the 40s. But in terms of interim head coaches, and you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong or someone else can come to mind. So he went 6-2 and two at USC, and he beat number four Stanford, and that was really good. But he kind of got drilled by UCLA. And the other teams he beat, they're okay. Like, he proved, though, that he could keep the ship going, right? He also helped land what ultimately was a number nine recruiting class in, uh, by the 247 rankings. Like, he, he held that together from Kiffin to Sark. But he didn't have the kind of platform he has now. LSU has eight games left on their schedule. Four are against teams that are in your top ten in the S&P Plus right now. That's insane. What if he won all those games? Yeah. He plays Ole Miss, A&M, Florida, Alabama. The two scrub teams that are left in non-conference play? South Alabama and Southern Miss, they both have wins against the SEC. This is, this is a chance for a coach, regardless of the yaw stuff. And God knows I can tell Ed Ogeron stories from Ole Miss. But this guy has the best audition template, platform, whatever you call it, in th- that I've ever seen. If he goes 7-1, how do you not hire him? <laughs> Unless that one is Alabama, I guess. Well, I guess. Yeah, it's good and it's bad. I mean, it, he does. If he skates through that at whatever, 8-1, and 9-0, whatever it ends up being, like, yeah, that's – I'm not going to say it's automatic or anything like that. They would still be crazy not to be checking on those other names that have still proven more. But uh, the, the downside of that is he could do a really, really, really good job and go 6-3 and three. or 5-3, or and three, whatever, whatever uh, moving forward. And so – like, yeah, there, there seems to be a very direct path for him to uh, land his, his dream job, but it's also an absurd path uh, with tons of little challenges and landmines and whatnot. So, Well, I yeah, guess... I mean, this was an offense that, that was absolutely atrocious against Auburn. So, I mean, I'm, I understand that what I'm proposing is, is right now at the moment insane. By the way, you don't just install new offenses. Um, right. Yeah, no, I was actually you know, I was in three days and then come out in conference play and like, oh, yeah, hey, we fixed it. Yeah, no, I think what we're going to see, I wrote about this for a piece that's going up on Rock M later today. Um, I assume what we're going to see here is simply because, I mean, among other things, Ensminger, the new offensive coordinator, I mean, he worked for Tuberville. He's worked for Miles. He's where he's he's the power and pro style guy. Uh, so he's not going to, it's not like he's, if he wanted to install a spread, he's, you know, he would have to study, probably study up first. But what I assume we'll see in the short term, like as in Saturday against Missouri, um, is the, I, I, my bet is that they, 
will probably try to come out passing a little bit. Like short passes, easy passes, try to get um, Dupre going for the first time all year. Maybe do some like flares to Fournette, try to get him the ball in different ways, assuming he plays. Um, and basically try to stretch Missouri out of the box a little bit that way. Don't do anything crazy, but just kind of come out of the gates passing to set up the run. And then, you know, if that works... Well, I mean, that's if that works, they'll probably score a couple times early, get a lead, and then be able to lean on Fournette against Missouri. But it's hard to know how that – like, that's not going to – that's short-term. That's not – I don't know what kind of long-term uh, changes you can make uh, at this exact stage uh, in the game. So, um, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to see. I mean, maybe they just – maybe they get those guys into a rhythm, find a couple of things they can add to kind of your t- their their base game plan – and then improve moving forward. But the pieces are still the same here. And their best player is still Leonard Fournette, who uh, is a very good runner and a power runner and needs the ball, needs to be fed the ball a lot to wear down defenses. So uh, if you go too far away from that, you're, you may be showing up some weaknesses, but you're also get kind of killing your biggest strength. So it's, I, I, yeah, I don't, I, it, the options are pretty limited here. If the offense is good enough for Fournette to be invited to New York, he's got a chance of keeping the job. I don't. I care. I care no swear words at all about the Heisman. But the the logic behind that statement is that if they're improved enough for him to be nationally relevant and not another September Heisman, then then they've done something right. Um, by the way, you know he. I really don't mean to be this like pro Ogeron, but if they go four and four. It's not Ed Ogeron's fault either. Well, right. Yeah, it's really tricky. I mean, this is why we were joking a long time ago about having, you know, just Ed Ogeron per, uh, permanent interim coach. Um, there's only so much he can prove. It's a very specific skill set that he was asked to show at USC, and now he's being asked to show again at LSU. It, it says nothing about program maintenance uh, or long-term hires or anything like that. It's just about, you know, keeping the troops rallied uh, and making sure that the, the remaining assistants aren't undermining you um, and making sure they're, but still making sure they're empowered to go do their jobs and make changes if they find, you know, it's a very specific skill set that he's being asked to display and he's, he, he displayed it. I assume he'll do pretty well here. I don't think he's going to lose zero or one games, but I assume LSU will probably get a little extra boost here and play a little better moving forward. Um, but uh, yeah, it's even if he were to go eight and no, I would still have be a, I would still be a little hesitant in terms of just saying here's the job because it, he didn't show anything about roster management, coach hires, etc. You would still need a lot of information about that. Um, but no, he's 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 got a as they say a particular set of skills, and I assume they will be well uh, well uh, displayed here in the couple. What if um. What if this becomes a? What if that particular set of skills becomes a, um, a a cleaner position in college football? Right. So I just got done telling everybody that this is going to be the norm moving forward: early firings, open searches, interim coaches. What if there's a culture that that is created of like bullpen guys of coaches that uh, just yeah. come in and do this, like the Jim Grobe thing or the Ed Ogeron thing, and they just like. Wouldn't that be weird? Like, like the middle reliever of head coaches, like a guy who just specializes in like, oh, you need me for six games and just to make sure that people in the locker room don't like kill each other. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, no, I mean, it would be that would be a very smart thing to be looking into. As and, and again, we've been saying this for a couple of years, but um, I also uh, doubt that that actually is a market that that forms. It'd be pretty funny, though. 
And it'd be great for like the old coaches who, you know, the Jim Grobe types who are too old to, you know, take on another five, ten year job, but still have some coaching skills. See, I think there's probably so like I feel like when Tuberville retires, he would be good at this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think don't, oh, let, I think, don't let him be around your program for five years. But for one, sure. Spurrier would be terrible, but I think you could find the right retired coach. He's just like, yeah, sure. I'm bored. Wife tells me to get out of the house. I'll do this for six games. We'll just come in. Here's a base playbook. Guy, I mean, like, come in, tell a couple jokes at the alumni thing, you know, like the, or the Thursday night radio show, you know, just get people fired up. Hey, guys, I know you've had a tough year. Like, it's, you know, it's a combination of, like, middle reliever and stand-up comedian. I don't know. Well, and Straight. by the way, Steve Spurrier would be an incredible interim offensive coordinator. Hey, what plays you got? This one seems to be working. Let's run that a bunch. Oh, my God. I think he, Not only would he be the best interim offensive coordinator, he would do it on the sideline with no headset or book. <laughs> he, I mean, it would be drawing up dirt. And I, I mean, no cliche, straight up, could do it. God, I wish there was a world, like a little pocket universe in which we could test these things out. Oh, oh. Yeah. That's what, that's what I try to do with numbers a lot. I can't, I can't really simulate that one. Alas, we are not God. Um, yeah. So, so we're super off the cuff this week. Um, I can talk about the Pac-12. What are you working on? Um, also, I'm going to be at a Missouri game this weekend, and you're not. <laughs> um, yeah, I just put, we just released some Big Ten projections that I can talk about. We'll, we'll go Pac-12 first. Okay, Pac-12. So uh, I'm working on a, uh, a long form about centralized replay and review. I was at the Pac-12 offices in San Francisco over the weekend, um, specifically – overseeing a couple games and one in particular. I'll talk about that when the story comes out because um, I know everybody wants to talk about instant replay right now. But I talked to Larry Scott and uh, led that off of the column this week. So it's um, – I feel like we kind of have to qualify or like put an asterisk next to anything we say about this because more often than not, I sit through – like we had a we had a Vox Media all-hands meeting, which is like I think it happens every quarter – um, we had one of those on Monday where we talk about the state of the company and digital media and all this like innovation and disruption and all these buzzwords from Silicon Valley. I'm talking about the TV show. Uh, so it's weird because I hear the same things coming out of the Pac-12. And the reality is their TV deal that was signed in 2011 is, uh, is a fraction of what the Big Ten is about to make. Um, they're, they're behind the SEC network. They're behind the Big Ten network because they own all of their network. Um, they have a really, really pretty building and a really, like, awesome setup in downtown San Francisco, right near AT&T Park, which is, like, super expensive. But um, they are now available on Sling. We've been doing the cord cutter thing for a while. We've been talking about that. I think, I think the list is updated, and I'll tweet it out of all the things that you can do if you want to cord cut. What's interesting to me is that they're about to experiment by putting Olympic sports on Twitter as a live stream the way the NFL has done. I don't think and I wrote the story, I kept it ambiguous because they're exploring this option. Here in a couple of years, they may be able to do that with the Pac-12 network games. So, Bill, you consume as much of college football as possible as sort of our oracle. You did not get to see, was it Washington, Arizona? Correct. Not a second. The platform now is disappearing, the, the concept of having a barrier. Who's your cable provider? CenturyLink. Okay, so Pac-12 probably doesn't have a deal with CenturyLink, right? No. They're available. No. They're right. In 2015, the estimate they were they were in about 12 million homes, um, which is not much because the SEC and Big Ten networks, I think, are both in. It's like 60 going on 80 each, so nowhere near comparable. The difference is soon, 
Fox and ESPN and all these other networks are starting to wane, whereas the Pac-12 still owns all their stuff. Um, I wrote about all this in the column. I'm not going to regurgitate the column. What I want to be super clear about, what I failed to do when I was writing this last night, is just hammer it. If you're like a 23-year-old college football fan, you're probably like, why why the hell does this concern me? Um, One day it'll concern you because you'll be 35 and consuming media in a completely different way. But also, in that amount of time, the Pac-12 it's very possible could go from a distant third to first by exposing new revenue sources and then dumping that money back into their programs. Here's the other thing I find interesting. Everyone wants to talk about how the Pac-12, like, oh, there's not enough money for Arizona and Washington State and all this. There's more money than they've ever had. They're not making as much money off their network as the other schools are off theirs in the Big Ten and the SEC. But in terms of competitive football product, they're right there. Right, they're not in a big ten. They're not in a Big Twelve situation right now, where they 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 have Baylor and then nothing else. They have Stanford, they have Washington, they have Arizona State. They are down their two best marquee products, which is USC and Oregon. And they're still, you know, no matter what happens on Friday night, you're still going to have one playoff contender. And it's possible, maybe if it's Stanford, I don't know, because we still just don't know a lot about Washington. So let's say Stanford wins on Friday night. I think it's very possible now that they, they can make it to a Pac-12 championship with one loss. And then they're right there in playoff consideration. So my point is, even down this money, they're still formidable. They're still commanding. They're, stu- they're, they're still a, a, you know, a presence in, in, the, in the conversation. They don't have the Big 12 problems. If they figure out how to make money internationally, they could blow past domestic deals. And then you could see money coming into schools like Wazoo, or Arizona State, from TV deals for basketball in China. Bill, do you know how much money the NBA makes in China? Yeah. It's a lot. I looked it up last night. The initial deal for streaming rights, the estimates are in the six to $900 million range, yeah. and that was the first deal that they did. If the Pac-12, and right now, like I didn't put this in the story because I, I cover football exclusively. I wouldn't know basketball from a hole in the wall. But basketball coaches from China, from major teams, are being brought over to the U.S. by the Pac-12 to work with coaches at Pac-12 schools. All of this is designed so that when they bring those games over to Beijing and Shanghai and all those other places, that people are going to start recognizing that brand. Also, remember the Cal game that we all laughed about? They struck a TV deal and announced it in the middle of the damn game. Which, by the way, I must say, mia culpa. We laughed about that game. Cal cleared a million dollars. That's pretty good. I mean, you know, for you cleared a million dollars and you did it even count as a road game for them? I don't think it did. So it's, you know, the logistics of it sucked. I know some of the coaches were not really happy with it, but it wasn't the end of the world. If they're able to make TV deals like that, because so now they're showing Pac 12 basketball on Fox Sports in Australia and Pac 12 football, that's free money. That's just free money. So none of this has to do with football in the time for the time being. If you're a Pac 12 fan, I would say this. Take a breath. If you, if you have an internet connection now, you can sign up for Sling and watch Pac-12 in HD on any device that you have, any one of the six networks. So if you're an Arizona State fan who lives in Seattle, you can get the, Fox, or the, the Pac-12 Arizona channel in HD. You, you can stop complaining is my point. And then maybe soon they may figure out a way to make a ton of money, like a freaking ton. And as we, we like to measure these conferences by their success and revenue. If they stay competitive in football while doing this, you could be looking at something ten years from now that changes the balance in, in college football. So you can jump um, in. I got to sneeze. Okay. <laughs> it's 
So uh, this reminds me, I got an email the other day, not a specific PAPN email, but basically uh, from our friend Nate that I will share here. I uh, he said, I saw this on CNET, made me think of your discussion about cord cutting on the podcast. It's a DVR for recording over the air broadcast games. Uh, I'll share the link. It's for a CNET.com article for the Channel Master DVR Plus, a subscription free, no frills DVR for over the air television. Um, it uses. Uh, program guide data provided by Rovi, and I, I, I'm sure some people probably know what that is. Don't look at me. Uh, it has a dual tuner, dual tuner functionality and excellent image quality. And Vudu, V-U-D-U, is supported, uh, opening up access to streaming movies and TV shows on a pay-per-view basis. Um, still kind of in its baseline stage, but they are working on the, hey, I've cut my cord, but I still like DVR uh, uh, options. So... Uh, now I just need a few PAPN listeners to go get this, test it out, and then tell me if it's completely worth my time or not. Okay. I mean, I think um, all these conversations that we're having, they don't impact Stanford and Washington on Friday night. Like, I can't be clear about I can't be clear enough about that. But what I am sort of coming around on is this idea of, like, well, the Big Ten and the SEC are just going to lap everybody. They're just going to lap everybody. Yeah, you know what? Like, Iowa's going to make a ton of money off this new deal because of Michigan being able to play games in New Jersey against Rutgers because television likes that and they struck a really good deal with Fox. All that's true. So Iowa and Purdue, our boys, Indiana and Minnesota, they're going to make a butt ton of money. But would you still, wouldn't you still rather have the UCLA job? Wouldn't you still rather take, like if you're a coach or if you're, I mean, a recruit or a prospect, it's not like the, the, the Pacific side is suddenly just completely untenable. If anything, well, there's... I, I, at some point, I need to, somebody to kind of lay out, okay, what will you do with this extra X million dollars that you're making as compared to like a Pac-12 school? I can like, answer. You'll spend it as fast as you can so right. you can tell people you can't pay the players. Right. And, and that's going to go on like more waterfalls in the, in the, in the facilities. Like what, where is that going to go exactly? That's going to allow you to put a better, a, uh, well, a, a demonstrably better unit of 85 scholarship football players on the field or basketball or whatever else. And I mean, I'd say, you know, this trickles down to other sports to a certain degree and that's great, but the PAC 12 is always going to be the best at those other sports. So, um, no, and, uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not doing the whole, like if they were a country Olympics, cause no one right. cares, no one cares, but, but they're really good at those other sports. And they've, you know, that's, you know, like we've said before, part of Cal's problem in football is that they offer like 30 sports, um, and, and football never gets the same level of priority that others that it gets at other schools. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I'm saying all this. I like as a Missouri fan being in the SEC and being one of the schools making that money. By all means, I'd rather make it than not make it. Sure. Hey, it's, the, it's the weekly phone call. Um, but when but I talk to Rich Rodriguez time, about this and Arizona hasn't had a great season. But if you're an Arizona school, Arizona, Arizona State, and there's a three or four maybe even a five-star athlete in Southern California, you're always going to beat Iowa for them straight up. The problem still persists in certain parts of the country. The population of Michigan is still going down. The population in the Western states is still increasing. Um, I just find it funny. Like a great example is I tweeted out, you know, put the link out for this column this morning. And there's, we talk about it. Ed on the column. We talk about the ACC title moving um, venues, but I led with this, all this PAC 12 stuff. 
immediately some of the dumber colleagues that I have in the national media have just just immediately written it off because of the dollar sign attached to the network deal. It's just kind of stupid that we continue to measure progress this way because regardless of what happens, I'll get you know, let's go back to a PAPN staple, Houston. Houston's always going to be a better place to recruit talent and win football games at in the AAC than half the Big Ten. It just is. Yeah, it is kind of an interesting thought of, I mean, yeah, you'd rather make it than not make it, but, I mean, at some point, there, it's, it's like there's a baseline. Okay, so what, with baseball, what I've always said about baseball was that, you know, now you've got, like, the Royals winning the World Series and the Pirates making the playoffs and the Giants. Well, the Giants are in a pretty big city, but you have smaller markets uh, teams uh, able to compete, it seems, better than maybe in about 1999 or so. Um, and it just seemed like what happened was, and maybe this, I think this is part of what, how Lester won the premier league last year too. Like at some point you make enough money overall that you're able to execute the game plan you want. Um, you would still rather have a hundred million dollars more, but it, you have an operating budget to go out and field a, a good team. You don't have as much margin for error, but you have what you need. And I think that's kind of, even in the big 12, I, I don't think money is exactly one of their issues right now. Um, so I, I, I do. Yeah. As, hey, as if money as could money, directly, if you could spin your way to winning, Texas would be on its tenth national title in ten years. Right, and and it and again, it helps. It always helps. Of course, it helps. But it's more about having a minimum than a maximum, and um, and you know, Pac-12 schools are going to have that minimum. Um, we'll transition off, Bill. We've got Big Ten stuff. We also have another um, one thing that we have not mentioned. Uh, podcast ain't played nobody's ongoing campaign to help democracy uh, prep is a um, prep school in Baton Rouge that was affected by flooding this summer. Um, you can go to the link on our site at SB Nation. Just search podcast ain't played nobody. We're putting up the donation page every week. It is pinned to the top of my Twitter at 38 Godfrey. Um, we are raising money. We have been for a while. And on the cuff last week, we mentioned, hey, we'll talk about your school for 15 minutes if you donate. Um, I just to say right now, the price of the bricks going up. I think it was 75 or 100. Um, we already have a winner for this week. But next week, if you want 15, 20 minute segment of your school specifically, um, how about 150 bucks? Anybody got 150 bucks? Bill and I will break down your school for 15, 20 minutes next week. Mid-season, doesn't matter who you are. I'm talking to you, forlorn CUSA fan. Um, actually, that's kind of a – that's not the best sell because we would probably jump into the forlorn CUSA headfirst eagerly on this program. But We have. Uh, yeah, we. he says so sadly. Uh, okay, do you want to do our um, – do you want to do our fundraiser school of the week? Yep. Or do you want to do Big Ten stuff? Oh, we'll do. The, we'll go ahead and well, we've we've introduced it. So, uh, okay. in 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 the theory of organization here, we should probably go ahead and talk about it now. Okay, I'm going to read the email as well because this gentleman uh, donated his money to us. Uh, by the way, thank you, uh, Mr. Clay Carroll. Um, so, Clay is an NC State fan. Uh, I'm going to skip through the email where we, we talk about the money, but um, he said, "I feel like the donation should be more than seventy-five dollars." Given that NC State probably won't make a bowl this year, thanks to the ECU loss, the talent, experience on the roster, and the difficulty of the remaining schedule. I would love to have a couple informed, uh, meaning college football informed, not necessarily North Carolina State informed, external perspectives on this team, Dave Dorn's future, and the future for he and the program. My thoughts are right now is that I fully expect him to survive this year because I'm reasonable, but other fans have often much higher expectations than they should. 
What can NC State expect from any coach football team long term? I expect them barring down years for the upper class or mid uh, upper class or major upsets, i.e., shirtless man celebrating after the 2012 Florida State yeah. game. What a great that's fan, one of the greatest gifts of all time. Uh, that was that was me. Uh, to lose at least three games just in the division every year. Florida State, Clemson, Louisville. Notre Dame on the schedule adds another likely loss. Coastal Division teams are uh, are almost always a challenge too. Man, this is the, let me just interrupt you here, Bill. This is the most pragmatic fan of a mid like a uh, mid school that I don't. This guy's he's with it. Carolina will always be a toss up or worse unless Fedora leaves and the next coach isn't up to his level. I would be delighted with the Polini Solich special, i.e., six to eight wins in a bowl game every year. Progress ever upward into the ACC championship in the playoff is an insane goal outside of a T Boone night or Phil Pickens situation funding a massive development of the program. Anyway, feel free to ignore every word of that. No, that was that was good, Clay. We're, <laughs> that made the air. Let me know if I can lock in NC State for 15 minutes. Absolutely. He wanted us to do it on Rivalry Week when they play UNC, and I said, no, let's talk about him now. Um, Clay? Buddy? Yeah, we, need to, we need to pick me up here. You okay? Um, so um, a couple things. Well, first of all, NC State is a very good example of why divisions are stupid. Um, and why we should go to more of the pod situation. Like, they just got randomly, haphazardly put in a division with Florida State, Clemson, and Louisville. Uh, no specific geographic uh, reason for any of that. They just got thrown in there, and now they're screwed. If they were in the Coastal, uh, they, in any given year, would be able to talk themselves into a potential division title. And when you and you can go down that road. And if we win a title and we pull an upset, we get a major bowl, recruiting improves, yada, 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 yada. Now they're like, well, hell, we're always going to be in a division with Florida State and Clemson for some reason instead of Miami and who, you know, whatever. And so now we have to live with uh, three division losses a year just because that sucks. And that's, uh, there was no geographic reason for that. There was no historical reason for that. Um, you know, they just drew the short straw and, and that's, that's really the best possible reason I can come up with for pods instead of divisions. Um, now that was my, you know, I say he, he deserves a little bit of a pick-me-up here, but I when I was writing this year's NC State preview, something came across that I didn't really ever notice or a, a tidbit that I'd never really held on to before. Um, top 10 finishes in NC State's history, zero. Uh, they really? Have spent, they have spent three seasons. Not even Chuck Amato years? Uh, they, they finished 12th in 2002. They finished 11th. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get there in a second, but they had – Three, they've, they've been in the top 10 for a part of three seasons, 1957, 1974, and 2002. Um, if you look at their best seasons ever uh, in terms of, uh, you know, whatever ratings you like, about, uh, you know, a third of the top nine or so come from Lou Holtz, who was there for a very small amount of time in the early 70s and, and did phenomenally well there. Um Otherwise, you've got a Chuck Amato year here. You've got a couple of Bo Rain years from the late 70s. Um, they did get as high as third. Oh, sorry, they've spent part, uh, part of four seasons in the, in the top ten. Their, high, their peak was in 1967 under Earl Edwards. 1967 was a weird – 66-67, a lot of teams were – a lot of good teams were suddenly bad. Bad teams were suddenly good. Uh, and then everything – and then the wishbone, you know, came out and everything righted itself. But they actually – they beat number two Houston because number two Houston was a thing also in the mid-60s when uh, their Veer offense was scoring 100 points on people. Um 
They beat Maryland, Wake Forest, Duke, and Virginia and found themselves third in the country in mid-November and had a random road game at Penn State, unfortunately, and lost 13-8 to and then lost again. Um, that was kind of their peak as a program. And so, this is a, I, I'm the optimist, but I, I, that, was, that was a lot more dire than I anticipated uh, from a team. Like, everybody has top 10 finishes. Everybody has these t- periods of time uh, where they're, they're at least really good until they lose their coach, and Lou Holtz was as close as they came. So then the question then is, you know, I, I can, I've always considered them kind of a second-tier team with just about everybody in uh, a power conference that isn't a blue blood or, uh, you know, a nerd school in the third tier, I guess. But um, they haven't ever really proven that. And so it is really difficult to then establish expectations for a, for a team like that. Um, I agree this. with you on everything except, well, it's not really a disagreement. The luxury that the modern ACC provides you is that the roles are still so largely undefined after the top. So while there's absolutely no precedent or history that would point you towards NC State becoming a perennial nine-win team, there's also not a ton of barrier involved, except for the division problem. Right, except for the fact that they, yeah, he's already saying, you know, and now we play Notre Dame too, so that's four losses right there. That's not, again, that's not fair at all. Yeah, Notre Uh, Dame coming in and the division structure, this reminds me so much of, like, the concerns right now of, like, an Oklahoma State or a Kansas State about Big 12 expansion. Is You know, you're you're beefing up the conference, but it's going to come at our expense. My advice, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm NC State AD tomorrow, I'm Debbie Yao. Um, I don't think Doran is going to be the kind of presence that creates dynamic change. I think he's a good coach, but I don't know if this is a job that works with just a good coach. Well, I, so what's funny too is um, you know, we talk about expectations. Uh, they got sick of Tom O'Brien, and he basically hit that mark that they were talking about. He won yes. eight games a year from 2010 to 2012 and it was gone. Well, and, and the re- from what I know, the reason why was everyone gets complacent and fed up with what they have, and they take everything for granted. But right. also, it's a market and a school where you want to – you have to create something a little, a little extra to work the ticket base, to work the consumer, to create a product that's engaging. So it's not, it's not as so much a, a given. Um, I'm not saying that it's a fickle fan base, but it's a fan base that needs something to really kind of – it needs something exciting. I mean, this is this is a PJ Fleck job. I don't think PJ Fleck takes, but this is the kind of job where you have to have someone who's who's got a funny Twitter account, who's you know getting the Tom Herman, getting his Paul Wall grill. Like you need that kind of you need that kind of presence. One to engage, two to differentiate this product inside the ACC, inside of North Carolina, where you have an increasing amount of people who are moving to the state as non-committed consumers of ACC content. Just you know, potential sidewalk fans. And you also need it for recruiting. You need it for, you need it for someone who can go in and win the battles in places like Rock Hill, where you got to fight freaking Clemson and half of the SEC coming in and then be able to go into Atlanta and Charlotte and, and, you know, the Tidewater and pull a couple kids away. Um, You have to have something that is different at NC State. And that's the one thing that I noticed looking at the history of coaches that they've gone with pretty sure bets and and strong resumes. And that's great. But I think you got to go with something that is that pops, you know, got a little shine, got a little sparkle. 
So it seems for that that reputation seems to or that uh, whatever hiring preference seems to have shifted at some point because basically you go back to 1972 they hire Lou Holtz and that's their peak. Um, you know they go eight three and one nine and three nine two and one seven four and one, and uh, you know three top twenty appear uh, three top twenty finishes, which is a large portion of their overall total of top twenty finishes, and. Um, they seem to figure out at that point, like we're the program that gets the young up and comer. And if we lose him, fine, we'll get another one. They're like a, an Arkansas state for the ACC. Yeah. Um, so they have four good years under Holtz. He goes to, I believe Arkansas at that point in 76, they hire Bo Ryan. I'm not sure if it's rain or Ryan. I think it might be Ryan. Um, after a rough first year, they go eight and four, nine and three, seven and four with him. Only uh, he then passes away. Um, he, I'm trying, oh, a plane, a uh, plane crash, I think. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Plane crash, uh, on a recruiting trip. So, um, so he, he dies, they hire Monty Kiffin who go, who is okay for three years and leaves. And they hire another young guy, Tom Reed, who is okay for three years. And at that point, after that kind of approach failed twice, they seemed to shift a little bit. So then their next guy was, um, Dick Sheridan who was 45 when they hired him. He was Furman's head coach, had, a, had some really good years, actually won the, uh, made it to the national title, the one AA national title game at Furman. Um, so, I mean, he wasn't uh, an old hand by any means, but he was at least a little more experienced, a little older than what they had been going with. So he has a few good years, uh, eventually gets them to nine and three a couple of times in the early 90s, and I guess retires... Uh, his his Wikipedia page kind of cuts off, but whatever. He leaves uh, after a couple of good years in 92. And so it's it's kind of like, uh, then they go back and forth. So Mike O'Kane was, uh, Mike O'Kane, that is not Michael Kane, was a pretty young guy. That would have been America. awesome. Yeah. Chuck Amato was a more experienced, older guy. Why and... do we fall? Sorry, that was, <laughs> I was doing for Michael Kane there. Uh, Take off sales back up. Chuck Amato comes in, more experienced, like long-term Florida State assistant, um, does okay, uh, does well and then poorly, I guess is the best way to put it. Chesty Amato. Chesty Amato. Then O'Brien is another old hand uh, from Boston College, and now Doran's kind of another young young up-and-comer type. So they bounce back and forth. And again, this goes back to ideal versus who's available. Like just because you want a young guy, if, if if you're not impressed with any younger guys and there's an impressive older guy on the list, you probably end up going with him. You can't be that inflexible. But regardless, they have kind of flipped back and forth between what they think they want. And I figured out who they're going to hire. Okay. Dave Doran. No. I don't think it's going to work. Um, and it's not just because I know him. But you hire somebody like Jeff Collins because it's different, because he will be a big media presence in the interim when you don't have anything to talk about other than just, like, swag juice. I don't know if you guys remember. Jeff Collins, by the way, Florida defensive coordinator, did all the fun, crazy recruiting stuff at Mississippi State. That's how SB Nation met him. Um, you go out and you do that. I don't know what you necessarily do on offense that's different from what Doran, I think their OC is Eli Drinkwitz, who came. He is out of the Arkansas – Northwest Arkansas High School coaching tree, and then he was at Boise. So I talked to him right, there right, at a spring right. game. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't think you necessarily have to do anything 
vastly different on offense. I just think that you need something to differentiate the product. And I know I'm talking like a marketing executive right now and not in football terms, but that is an issue that I've heard from ACC people is that once you get off the top level, you have anonymous products. It's very frustrating for them when they go out and recruit nationally. Okay. I think we NC stated the hell out of this show. Yeah, so much so that's NC State calling Bill right now. Oh my God! What? Stop! Answer. Hang up. Jesus. That could have been uh, Debbie Yao. Okay, we probably could have been on a search committee and made a little extra money. Did you even check? Uh, uh, yes, it was an insurance company. So uh, yeah, the same. It could have been calls, a booster. You don't know. The, the, it's the same one that calls almost every single day, uh, and that we ignore every single day, and yet they call back and they don't take our passive aggressiveness as a as a response in and of itself. Um, so last thing on NC State, they you know if we're talking about whether Dorn can make it or can't make it or whatever, they're two and one right now. Um, had a relatively unlucky loss to uh, East Carolina in terms of win expectancy on my on the stat profiles that I provide. Um, based on the stats of the game itself, they would have won that game 79% of the time, but they didn't. Mm. Um, so they're 40th overall. They're really, they're in a decent spot. Their offense has looked good. Um, they scored at least 30 in every game. So now they've got a really interesting slate. Now at the end of the month, they play at Clemson and at Louisville back to back, which sucks. But if you mm-hmm. ignore those two games, Wake Forest at home, um, Wake is 4-0, but they're also 58, so S&P says they have a, a 67% chance of winning that one. Notre Dame at home, 60% chance of winning for NC State because Notre Dame is a mess right now on, on defense. Maybe they're no longer a mess. Maybe they now rally around a guy who isn't Brian Van Gorder, but, um, but suddenly Notre Dame is looking very shaky on offense or on defense, and NC State looks like they can score 40 points on any sort of shaky defense. So then if you skip Clemson, Louisville, then they get Boston College at home. They get Florida State at home. They get uh, Syracuse on the road and Miami at home. Um, now, Man, of course, this they might, sucks. Well, and, and you know, they have a lot of clay. So sad. Well, you get that. That's a really good home schedule. If you're looking to sell tickets, by the way, you got Notre Dame, Florida State and Miami. But um, if they beat, they, they are projected to beat Wake Forest, Notre Dame, BC and Syracuse. Let's say they win those. That's six. Let's say. Uh, let's say they just pull an upset, whatever that means. At Clemson, probably not five. at Clemson or at Louisville, but uh, Florida State at home or Miami at home or North Carolina. And and by the time Miami comes around, maybe it won't even be an upset. Right now, my numbers love them, but they they've still only played three games, so we'll see. So seven uh, and five. So that's seven and five. Here's the problem uh, with that: it puts them right back in the situation where they were last year. You play Mississippi State in the freaking whatever the Charlotte Belk Bowl, you know? Right. And so as a fan, I'm sure they would be very disappointed with that. Or or at least they wouldn't uh, accept that as like a great end game. But you just lost uh, the the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots, technically. Uh, And you go and you match last year's record. And not that any fans actually care, but you put like you you end up ranking in like the top 35 overall Uh, for it. For what was supposed to happen that uh, this year with what they lost last year. That's awesome. With the with a schedule that features Notre Dame and Clemson and and a great Louisville and Miami and Florida State and whatever, that's a that's a strong performance. And if you fire him for that, and again, I don't think they will, but if they did, that you know that's that you know I, I would have to think about renaming Glenn Mason territory Dave Doran territory at that point because that would be nuts. 
Um, I think I can't say that he's doing a great job, but this year so far, I think they should be three and zero right now. They're playing at a top forty level. Their defense is still not that great, uh, but their offense has rebounded very quickly. And if they keep playing at that level offensively, you know Ryan Finley's out here completing seventy six percent of his passes so far, then. It would be insane to decide that's not the direction for you. You need to play this out, especially since Ryan Finley's a sophomore. Um, you're, uh, well, your leading rusher is a senior, but you've got a pretty interesting guy in Reggie Gillespie who's a sophomore. You've got uh, a junior Jalen Sanders, uh, Samuels, excuse me, leading the, uh, the receiving. So you've got a young core. You're still not going to beat Clemson and Florida State next year. But that's not going to change if you change head coaches either. So I think they might actually have it. I'm not. I don't want to say they have a good, but they might have a good. And and any talk right now from NC State fans about firing Doran is kind of crazy. Well, that's never stopped most of the no mid-level <laughs> Power Five teams in college football. I think the moral of the story is this: get East Carolina off your schedule. Yeah, seriously. And I, they are legi- It's a legislated thing for them, I think, which sucks Probably, too. Yeah. But anyway, probably East Carolina, the North Dakota State of the FBS. <laughs> All right. Hey, so, Bill, there's uh, football this week on Saturday. Yes. Did you know that? Uh, that's uh, allegedly, yeah. There's, like, games we could talk about in the future. This, is, this felt so much like an off-season show this week. <laughs> um, so, obviously, Clemson-Louisville is really big this week. But yeah, I, I've heard I'm of gonna, that. I'm, I'm going to focus. It's kind of funny. I have a preview that i got to write tomorrow, but since I've already written about Clemson and Louisville in like the last two weeks, it feels weird because I have this thing where I really hate repeating myself even though if I know that no, – even if like half the people that would read it, tomorrow's Clemson-Louisville preview didn't read what I had to say about Clemson's offensive line a couple weeks ago, like I know I'm repeating it and it's really hard for me. Um, so that, that preview is going to take a little bit of work. But before that, today I just put out this week's little win projection kind of piece – was on the Big Ten, because the Big Ten actually has a humongous weekend. Only one really, really, really marquee game, uh, Wisconsin-Michigan, although um, because of other things that we'll talk about some other time, Illinois-Nebraska is a very interesting game all of a sudden. Um, But you've got a lot of jockeying for position games here. You've got Northwestern-Iowa. Iowa still, based on the projections that I share there, Iowa's still very much a part of the Big Ten West race. Um... You've got Minnesota-Penn State. If Minnesota beats Penn State, A, uh, sorry, James Franklin, because that's terrifying. Ooh, uh, B, that, that, I don't think that's terrifying. I think that's yeah. terminal. <laughs> um, and B, if Minnesota does win that game, because of the schedule they've got, they almost become like the favorite in the Big Ten West. That's insane. And, and then you've got just you've got Michigan State and Indiana, who, you know, S&P suddenly hates Michigan State um, and has Indiana winning that game. So, I mean, hey, that. Maddie! Oh, my God. <laughs> I've got a phone, you've got a dog. Um, Maddie, shut up. Hey, Maddie, are you pissed about Minnesota? She should be. Come here. Um, Big Ten West is fine. Sit down. So, then, the, yeah, so you've got Michigan State, Indiana, this weird game at night that could also be pretty interesting. Um, Big Ten, yeah, so in general, okay, so. Uh, it's gotten more interesting and more boring at the same time. The East has gotten, uh, you know, until Michigan State proves otherwise. Now we're inevitable? looking at Michigan State. I think, that, I think the East has right. just become inevitable. Right. Like Michigan State at this point, um, I, I was really trying to talk myself into them in the previews. I think I actually had them second ahead of Ohio State, who had a bunch of freshmen and couldn't possibly be this good this year. Um, but it's it's pretty clear at this point, like they, they were – 
they were okay, but not great offensively against uh, Furman in the opener. They were good offensively against Notre Dame, but apparently that's more on Notre Dame because then they got completely shut down by Wisconsin. So at this point, you know, they still get Ohio State and Michigan at home. They can still play a role with upsets, but they have to kind of, they have to prove, it's, it's on them now to prove that they're actually a solid team this year or if this is a rebuild year. Um, that makes it Ohio State, Michigan. And, um, you know, Michigan's got a, a 70% chance or 70 to 80% chance in a couple games. Otherwise, it's 80 plus. Ohio State, I think it has one game like that and has otherwise 80 plus. Um, so that's looking kind of inevitable at the moment. But let me, let me add my hand, expertise on the schedule. It Fox, Fox put the Oklahoma TCU game at four o'clock central. So they were trying to, when they did that, I'm sure they thought that was going to be the game of the week. I'm sorry. That's that, I shouldn't laugh. Sorry. That was mean to Fox, yeah, well, I guess not really to Oklahoma or TCU. Yeah. Yeah. No more Fox. Uh, so then there's the West, which is a, which is potentially an ACC coastal style, um, fire waiting to, t- to uh, ignite because basically you've got two clusters of teams. You've got the bad teams in the bottom, but then you've got four teams that are relatively close in S&P, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota. We will, uh, Iowa, we will really Iowa, know, Minnesota. like, this, was, this whole Wisconsin thing stops this weekend, right? Where we don't know, but we think we do, and then we're wrong again. Oh, my God. It's the best show ever. All three of these have been spam. I wish my dog was calling you. <sighs> okay. So, yeah, well, okay, so, yeah, Wisconsin at the beginning of the year in the, in the previews, um, I basically said I thought they could be top 25 or 30 caliber, and they, I mean, they definitely at least proven that, but that their schedule was absurd, and they, that was probably going to prevent them from winning the West. As it stands currently, they're probably a slight favorite in the West because, among other things, they get Nebraska at home, but uh, I broke down their, the schedule. So let's look at whether they play Michigan and Ohio State, and then uh, of those four teams, like the other three teams, who do they get them home or road? So Wisconsin – only team of the four that plays both Michigan and Ohio State, and they get Michigan on the road this weekend. Uh, they do get two of the other three at home, however, so that helps. Nebraska plays at Ohio State and gets two of the other three on the road. Uh, they're probably the second best of those four teams, and that's pretty tricky. Uh, Iowa gets only Michigan and at home, and then they get two of those other three at home. And then Minnesota plays neither, gets two of those three on the road but plays neither Michigan nor Ohio State. Um, so again, by the way, pods, please pods over divisions. Uh, just going to say that now, but, uh, that's really interesting because if you go like, if you rank them in order of, of quality, you're going Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota. If you're going, uh, if you're ranking them in, in order of schedule difficulty, you're, you're going Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin. Like it's just, it's kind of a perfect inverse there. And that makes for a really, really muddy situation. Like I was looking at the, the, the teams that have a chance like I, I added up their possible their probability of going at least seven and two in conference. So seven and two, eight and one, or nine and zero. Wisconsin's at twenty eight percent. Nebraska's at twenty seven percent. Minnesota's at twenty one percent, and Iowa's at nineteen percent. That's kind of fun. And even though Wisconsin's probably the best team, um, that's gonna be an interesting race to watch. And, I mean, if they want to beat Michigan this weekend and just kind of put an end to everything, that's fine. But. Um, but that could be a really kind of a messy, fun division race to follow. And not just in a everybody's everybody's like number 35 in the country caliber. Nobody's actually really good. They actually have at least one pretty good team in there, and it's still not a runaway. Man, that was probably the best case you'll ever hear for interesting, dynamic, fun. By the way, dynamic, I'm killing that word this week. Uh, that's, that's the best case you'll hear for an interesting take on the Big Ten West. 
Maybe we're just maybe that's becoming another lazy bias item too, because Ohio State and Michigan are in the East. Because when you take first glance, probably because of Iowa last year, um, there's quality there. There's more quality than we wanted to admit, at least. Um, Bill, this schedule as a whole, I'm gonna go with B minus. I'm gonna go. Eh. Wait, you mean this week's schedule? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go B minus. Okay. I feel like it's decent. You got, like, some nap, you got some nap potential in here. I know that. Well, do you? Because you, you've got... Well, I mean, well, not for like people like us. You well, and no, I no, no, no. No, like big... So you've got... Well, Friday night, you've got Stanford, Washington, which is awesome. Right. Um, which I, I'm always a fan of spacing out the marquee games. You know? 2.30, you've got Wisconsin, Michigan. Uh, and then, yeah, at 4, you do have OUTCU, which is still a huge Big 12 race game. And um, his names, and then at seven you get Louisville, Clemson. I'm talking. I'm speaking in in central time zone terms, obviously. God's, God's time, time zone. zone. God's right. time zone. Uh, um, by the way, don't sleep on 11 a.m. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma State. So uh, there you go. There's no nap potential in there whatsoever. Oh, I feel like there's definitely nap potential for again. The you know, there are moments in there. This isn't just a completely high caliber week. Like you can probably absorb texas oklahoma state and maybe fall asleep for 20 minutes yeah i was gonna that I, I will grant that that's a game where it's going to be four and a half hours long so you can probably take a nap in the middle uh and and really kind of catch the end of that yeah. as it bleeds over uh to the 230 games because we'll never ever change these stupid time windows even though there's not a single game that lasts three hours anymore uh sorry that's i've already done that rant but other uh, morbid interest i don't know it's not really that morbid but Miami's going to Georgia Tech. It's a, it's an early kickoff. It'll be hot. Um, yeah, I've been talking about Miami, but that game scares me when it comes to talking about Miami. Um, you know, Oregon State's not a good team. Colorado apparently is. So this is the first game where you look at Colorado supposed to win this game. Um, so we'll see if they're you know how ready they are. Um, yeah, yeah, James Franklin better not lose this week. Um, let's, do, let's check the anxiety calendar. Uh, Kentucky's going to lose by 70. Um, let's see. Oh, I've got a good one. You ready? 8.30 p.m. Central Time on the ye old Pac-12 network. Oregon's going to Wazoo. Yeah. Uh-oh. They've done a really good job with the late games this year. You've got that. You've got Arizona-UCLA, and you've got Utah State-Boise. Um so yeah, we've uh, we've had good after dark games here each time. Uh, things get serious talking about Mark Helfrich if they drop this one. Very very serious. I'll yes. put it that way. I will say I, I've I obviously have a much different size of leash than most, but uh, and I think it's kind of crazy still at this point. But yeah, if you lose to Wazoo too, and then say let's let's say that there's a scenario now where you, then you return home and you get stomped by Washington, uh, that's massive anxiety right there. We're going to have to drug Dan Rubenstein. We're going to have to, like, restrain him, and I don't know. It's going to be bad. Uh, Tennessee, Georgia. Yep. Yeah, that's a pretty good football game, but now it seems like we're settling in for Tennessee to have. Yeah, to, to I'm not yet. Yeah. They have to now, they have to, com- as, as to use a tennis term, they need to, you know, solidify the break here. They've broken serve. Now they've got to win this one, too, before I completely trust them. That was an awesome I think they got to win it, but I also think they need to go in there and win it. And have it right. won by halftime. Much of, I mean, much of the way Georgia was just out talented by Ole Miss last week, more than anything else, this should be the same thing, even in Athens. Yeah, and I'm not convinced it will be. So God, we just don't trust Tennessee, and that's no. okay. 
Well, why should we? I mean, they've played, they've looked very mediocre for about three games in one quarter so far. Like the second quarter of Virginia Tech and the last two against Florida, they were awesome. But that's it. And so that's, I mean, A, that shows that they have been awesome when they needed to, and that's good. But you, you just can't continue to skate by like that. You have to actually continue to look the part and look look at the part for a longer period of time, and they haven't yet. So, if they, yeah, I, I they could absolutely do that against Georgia. I just need to see it first. Sleepy Thursday night, UConn at Houston. Yeah. Um, retribution game. Well, awesome. I don't really think they care about that. But uh, just don't lose. And then uh, Kansas at Texas Tech. Oh, come on, chicken. Come on, chicken. Uh, Bill, let's go to the box score. Yep. Who are we doing this week? So uh, we have an orange team and a green team. The orange team is Oklahoma State. The green team is Baylor. Uh, This game was on Saturday night. And the box score then, uh, even as I watched the whole thing, the box score still kind of confused me a little bit. So... I saw not a stitch of this, so I'll be your control okay, subject. So just go right on past the the score. Obviously, you know who won the game. This is this is no longer blind box score bingo. Um, but so you have Oklahoma State Baylor. Uh, this, by the way, uh, this is our segment where we go in detail on a on a given box score over the summer when we didn't have games to talk about. It was blind box score bingo in that we. Uh, Godfrey would get uh, submissions. He would uh, then present a game to me without me knowing the teams. And uh, goal number one would be to kind of guess the game, but really it was to, to kind of get an impression of the game without the kind of the, the biases of knowing who won a game. So, All right, while you were doing the intro, I was trying to pull something out of my rear end here to try and make a salient point. So I literally, I know that Baylor won the game. I scrolled past the score by quarter and that stuff. I'm just looking right now at the traditional box score. Okay. Uh, uh, it looks like a Baylor game. I mean, 387 yards passing. They were almost doubled on the ground. Oklahoma State had 213 to their 136. Um, let's see. Average per rush is not really a standout there. And then, you know, Baylor had 13.8 yards per attempt and 21 yards per completion on passing. So... That's a Baylor game. Um, penalties, um, nothing really stands out. Baylor was penalized a little bit more, um, which is not which is not rare. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What am I looking for here that jumps out at me? fifty um, percent uh, on third down for the Bears. Uh, a little bit over that for the uh, for the Cowboys. Um, let's see, one of two. Wait, one of two on red zone scoring chances. So that means that Baylor was scoring from outside the red zone. That's a really stupid stat, but yeah, that, that, that is what that means. Why is that stupid? It's just that that gives – there are so many different ways you could talk about red zone, and that's like the – was it field goals or touchdowns? Was it – yeah, there's just so much more information you can convey there that they don't. It's dumb, but anyway. Okay. You did, you did receive the information that they were trying to convey at least. All right. Um, so definitely not looking at time of possession because it's a Baylor-Oklahoma State game. And uh, so maybe the thing that I would start with if I was to explain why Baylor won is, gosh, Bill, I don't know. This, I, f- I feel like you gave me a tough assignment here. I mean, <sighs> Baylor, where is it? Yards per play, almost double. Offensive total, yeah, game per play, not double, but they had 8 to 4.9. So um, I, I would probably start there. That Baylor's offense is obviously operate. All right, here's what I would do. You tell me if I'm wrong. Man, this is so much harder. I, I want the old system back where I just nope. act like a game show host. Um, 
Okay, so eight yards per play and a bunch of passing yards. So then my eye is going to go to, did they have any turnovers? This box score is arranged kind of weird, so I'm looking for turnovers. They had two, OSU had four. Okay, so because they won the turnover battle, because they were averaging eight yards a clip, because they were 21 yards of completion, I would just assume that they won. But would you still assume that they won when you see that Oklahoma State had 101 snaps to Baylor's 65? Damn, uh, that was the thir- one I missed! And 30 sna- uh, 31st downs to Baylor's 20, and the third down conversions that you mentioned, um, Twelve uh, OSU was 12 of 20 versus 6 of 12 for uh, Baylor. So, Basically, this why, OSU- so this is why you like it is because they almost doubled them in total plays run. Right, well, it, then it, it was back like, down to drive efficiency, right? Right. What did you, what'd it, you do complete, with all those plays? Yeah, this was this this was weird. So you go to um, not that you see this there there, but on the box score that I do the, that I upload on Sundays, Oklahoma State's success rate was actually higher than Baylor's, forty four percent to forty. Um, Baylor was fifty five percent in the first quarter, and then and then thirty five seventeen thirty five thereafter. They could not run the ball efficiently at all. Um, their, their standard down success rate, Oklahoma state was 47% to Baylor's 38%, which is usually, that's a sign that, you know, Baylor was in a ton of passing downs and that's almost never a good place to be. Um, it it seems like Oklahoma state kind of shaped this game exactly as they needed to shape it, but Baylor was plus two in turnovers and Baylor Scored on plays of 23 yards, 38 yards, 38 yards, and 89 yards. So basically, the, the Oklahoma State set this game up to where, like, as long as we don't give up a couple, uh, as long as we don't give up too many big plays, we're good. And they, the problem was they gave up too many big plays. And then at the very, because, in part because of the very end when Baylor had a pick, um, they uh, lost the turnover battle uh, as well. And that was all the, no, yeah, the, the, the game ended. It was, um, uh, it's 28-24 Baylor. Uh, OSU gets the ball, gets stuffed on fourth and two from the Baylor four, uh, and then turns the ball over via fumble, and then turns the ball over via interception. And that was it. That was Baylor got the advantage they needed from that. So OSU kind of had this game exactly where they wanted when it comes to pulling a road upset, but they just they made the mistakes in the fourth quarter that they couldn't make. I like to think, and I maybe I mean, I'm probably totally full of it, but like, if you gave me this as a blind box score, I would have said that the Baylor team, you know, the second team won a, a relatively close game because of turnovers, yards per play. I don't know if the total plays run would have swayed me. Right. I mean, as we've seen here, as you know, in discussing this in the past, having a humongous disparity in the, in the number of snaps, number one, that could mean that the team with more snaps was playing catch up. Yep. That's that was about to say is I, I, I think you've trained me to look at that and think, oh, they're that's coming from behind. Of, that's kind of what it meant here. Uh, but really, it was just that OSU was playing keep away. They were uh, converting a lot of third downs. And it was funny because, I mean, there was a stretch there where what really was like uh, Baylor stuffs them on first and 10, stuffs them on second and 10, third down, third and long completion, third and long completion, third and eight completion, et cetera. Um, that balanced out towards the end of the game with the fourth quarter. But um, yeah, it was just, it was. OSU was tr- kind of treading a thin line there, but they were doing it and they were succeeding at it. They just couldn't control the ball well enough. Uh, they couldn't hold on to the ball well enough. And, you know, 89-yard touchdown pass. I do like oh, yeah. that. Uh, credit to this box score because they break down first downs by rushing, pe- passing, and penalty. Yeah. I see that a lot. 
That's nice. A little added extra piece of information. Okay, I feel good about that. I mean, God forbid you actually give me one of these things blind. I would absolutely eat the curb. But, um, you know, I did decent. Yeah, and and as much – I know we're not talking about Baylor yet. We're going to continue to postpone that. But to Baylor's credit – uh, they are still absurdly big play. Uh, it has to be with Ish Zamora. That had to be the, the you know the other the, you know the dog whipper uh, because we can't completely escape from that gross cocoon. But um, but no, they they did a really nice job of a of of making the big plays and and on defense they really did. They stiffened on defense. They uh, OSU scored uh, a touchdown midway through the third quarter, and after that, all they ma- all they could manage. Um, was a field goal. The end of the game, field goal, turnover on downs, fumble, interception, ball game. Uh, so credit to Baylor for playing really strong, kind of bendish, don't breakish kind of defense there, a little more than Baylor typically does, but they did a, a nice job. Just as a reminder, we hit on it, I think, in the last two episodes, including the recap. Baylor has Iowa State, Kansas, and a bye, so uh, get prepared to live with them for a little while longer. Yep. Uh, Bill, that was a big show. Phone rang a lot. My dog completely lost it when we started talking about the Big Ten West. Um, whew, I'm tired. And now you need to get some rest because you get to now fully immerse yourself in the world of Ed Orgeron's Louisiana State. Yeah, Texas. I'm not even going to lie and make it out like I'm a, a serious investigative journalist this week. I do that work, but this week I, it's really just more letting my brain, liver, and lungs survive a weekend in Baton Rouge talking with people who are – like passionate about football that's just going to involve so much drinking like not even me seeking it out like here sit down drink this let's talk it's just going to be oh my head hurts already um so i'm pretty jealous of uh of you sitting up in the perch and taking it all in uh do you have a schedule together on what you think you're going to do um well that'll part of that depends on what uh the wife and kid are going to be doing um during the day at least in terms of what games I'm DVRing and whatnot. But, yeah, there's I, I really like – I'm easy to please when it comes to slates of games, but there's a good amount of, in both the, the 11 o'clock kicks and the 2.30 kicks here. I'm, I'm good. And then at night I'll obviously DVR the big ones, what, Louisville-Clemson, uh, and while watching uh, what is actually pr- potentially going to be a very, very interesting Missouri-LSU football game. So. Oh, extremely so. Extremely so. No, I'm actually excited. And I, I'll be in the stands with fans, too, which is, uh, I mean, regardless, regardless of the circumstances, Les Miles, not fired coach, whatever, um, anemic offense, it's Saturday Night Death Valley. I'm pumped, man. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, as always, we thank you for your time. You can follow Mr. Bill Connolly on Twitter at SBN underscore Bill C, myself on Twitter and Instagram at 38Godfrey. Uh, be sure to subscribe, review, exalt, praise, love us. Just absolutely lay plaudits at us at SoundCloud or iTunes, whatever review system for whatever podcast service. I don't know. We're supposed to say that every week. Um, please check out our page. Uh, you can just search podcasting, play nobody at SB Nation. Give us some money. Become an athletic booster of a uh, an elementary school for underprivileged children in Baton Rouge. That's what you've always wanted to do with your life. That's why you listen to a two-hour podcast about college football every week. Give us your money. Um, Bill, you want to do this again on Sunday? Absolutely. Go get yourself some fluids and some chicken soup, by the way. All right. I'm going to drink myself to health. That always works. Okay. We'll do that instead. We'll see you Sunday.